thought occurred to my mind. How do you not know who I am? Uh, right? Yeah. Like, everyone knows me. I'm Mustafa, every, I got every, everyone, I'm Mustafa Davis. I'm, I'm actually coming here to speak. And that thought occurred in my mind. And I stopped myself. And I said, wow. Welcome to the Father and Son Podcast, where my father and I discuss anything that's been on our minds lately. In this week's episode, we're continuing our series of talking to other fathers. This week's guest father is Mustafa Davis. Mustafa Davis is a world-renowned photographer and filmmaker. If you'd like to see examples of his amazing work, please click on the link in the podcast description. Hope you enjoy. Hey, I'm Mustafa. Hey, Habibi Yusuf. How are you? I'm doing great. Alhamdulillah. So let me start with a simple question that shouldn't be too hard to answer. Okay. What can someone from Manhattan learn from someone in Mauritania? <laughs> I thought you said it wasn't going to be difficult to answer. <laughs> <laughs> someone in Manhattan learn from someone in Mauritania. Wow. Uh, I would say gratitude. Gratitude. Gratitude is what I found when I was in Mauritania. Um, it was, you know, Mauritania is an impoverished country. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Manhattan's the height of the first world. Um, in Mauritania, they don't have much. But what I was really surprised with is how content and happy people were, even when they didn't have things. And like, I mean, not having like just material things, but like even maybe some days not having enough food uh, to eat. But I felt nobody. I heard nobody complain, uh, and everybody was just completely content with what they with what they had. And so I think probably gratitude and contentment. So they, didn't, they don't place value in the material things, in the material things. Because like in the West, like, you know, somebody's rich when they have a Ferrari. Like what do in Mauritania, if they don't value material things, what to them says that somebody is rich? Uh, I mean, they do have wealth. Right. And so, you know, like like any country, there's going to be a disparity in between poverty and, and wealth. And so you'll see mansions there mm-hmm. in, like the major, in the capital city, like Nouakchott. You'll see mansions and things like that. Um and so if for those people, for the, you know, those that are well-to-do, it's the same as same materialism as that you would find in the first world country in, in the West, right? I'm uh-huh. sure there, maybe it's not a Mercedes, but maybe it's like a new, you know, Toyota Land Cruiser or a, a Land Rover or a Hilux or something like that. Um, and then out in the desert where I spent most of my time when I was living in Mauritania, I think it would be um, livestock, you know, like, you know, do you have, do you own a camel? Do you own a cow? Do you own a, uh, you know, a few goats or a sheep? And I think that's the extent of it, you know, in terms of there. But I wouldn't say that they don't have materialism. I would say that, you know, I'm sure that even there, there's that, you know, oh, wow, he's got two goats. Yeah, I yeah. only got one. That kind of, you know, keeping up with the Joneses type thing. <laughs> but it's just out of playing at a lower at a lower level. But what I was referring to mostly was that those that are that didn't have much at all didn't seem to be preoccupied with getting more. Mm-hmm. They didn't seem to be preoccupied with um my life isn't complete because I don't have such and such. They just seem to kind of get on with it. And for me, that was very rare because Mauritania was the first time I was a young guy. I was only 24 years old. It was the first time I actually ever left the Western hemisphere. Like I'd never traveled overseas before. I'd been in Canada. I had been in, spent a lot of time in, in, in Mexico, but I'd never been overseas before. And so that type of experience for me was really, really life changing. In fact, there was a, you know, when we were leaving, you know, the, the capital city of Nouakchott to go to Gero out in the, in the desert where I was going to be living, um, we, we, there was a long, hard, arduous journey, like to get there, like on the, on the road, like it's like desert. So you're like 
the road you actually couldn't even drive on the road it's desert drive, it's like this is not the world the anymore. road was just the marker you had to drive next to the road because the road had too many potholes and uh -huh. ditches and stuff in it and so at one point we pull over and there's a tent you know just you know maybe like 10 yards or so off of the road and um and that was it It was just a tent and so we we pull over and then we go and then there's a, a family a young family there and then um we we sit down and they they welcome us and i don't speak arabic yet and so i'm still just visually getting everything that's going yeah. on you know, i have no idea what's happening I don't know using what the your hands and like yeah, a lot of gestures um and you know they served us fresh camel milk right uh -huh. so they had a camel and they you know they milked the camel and they served us fresh camel milk um that was also interesting for me to drink warm milk that had just, just come, come out, out it's not it's not hasn't been pasteurized yeah and it was really really an interesting uh must have been a culture shock it's a culture shock i had never left the united states right and from san francisco california metropolis to, to mauritania to mauritania and um they had they had two little kids and the kids were crying and i remember they just kept like just like you know patting them and I, but the kids were like really really crying and it was it was a bit disturbing for uh -huh. me because you know as a western kids cry like what's wrong yeah, yeah, yeah. they just kind of they, they were like them. yeah leave them anyways you know we we stay for maybe 30 minutes you know to an hour and you know if i could this is a decade and you know two decades and a half ago at this point now you know this is 1997 when i'm there wow. and so i'm trying to remember it exactly and so we we leave and then you know that was it eventually you know within a few weeks to a month i start picking up the local dialect and so i'm able to, to speak a little bit uh -huh. and i asked about that situation mm -hmm. and they said oh no the kids were 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 the kids were hungry the kids were hungry and like because they but they because we were guests they were going to serve us uh -huh. over serving their over serving their children and so for me that was like when i felt gutted like it's yeah, like that oh, must, that was God, like wow like, I, I took the kids milk, you know, yeah. milk and their sustenance for that night but also culturally for me it was like wow here's people who have nothing Right. Not even enough to feed us and the kids. And they chose to feed the the guests. And so that dichotomy, you know, in contrast between that and like Mauritania and Manhattan, I'm not sure if that would happen if I stopped off the side of the road at someone's house. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, or, and it was just that was their house. They, like, they, they lived there in that tent. Can you imagine just pulling off the side of the highway in New York, yeah, and just knocking on someone's door? Well, can and, I have some dinner? Can I have some dinner? Like, no, and go so away. You, so your kids don't eat, you know, yeah. but I can have it. And so that that was really, really life altering for me. Mm hmm. So you've traveled throughout the world extensively. Even now you're in Turkey. You're still traveling <laughs> the world. How have your travels shaped you as a person? Like for the Mustafa Davis that left California in the 90s, how different is he now to Mustafa Davis in 2021 that's been traveling the whole time? Uh, night, night and day, because I think, you know, the Mustafa Davis that was in the United States for the majority of the time I was actually Brian Davis. Uh -huh. um, you know, I converted to Islam in 1996. A year later, I, I left. And so I don't know if it's necessarily just the track, the fact that I've traveled to, to different places or if it's just time as, as, as well. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm now 48 years old. Mm -hmm, I was mm -hmm. 24 when I, when I left. But I think in terms of like the experience of, of I got to experience cultures because i i've never i'm not a vacationer yeah I, I don't know how to vacation i've never done the, like the resort you know go and spend a week somewhere in like some n nice fancy hotel but i've traveled a lot but when i traveled i've always been with the people mm -hmm. like, i've lived with the people so when i was in mauritania i was living in, in the with desert. the mauritania yeah. when i was doing my film in, in 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 malawi in east africa i was living in the orphanage with the orphans that we were that we were you were in like at a hotel and coming in no. like, from like and nine so to five i've never done that type of travel and so i think the biggest change has been just to to absorb all of these really just amazing cultures that i would have never had the ability to do had i stayed 
in the uh-huh. United States. Like you're you're from the West, so you know if you if you haven't left that, you're just gonna have this kind of one track of what you yeah, know. Yeah, you don't think about what's happening in Malawi or in at Mauritania all, at all. And so I think you know, and I've traveled you know mostly within the third world, and and for the majority of the part, you know, within you know impoverished countries, with the exception of when I was in when in the UAE, which was decadence at a whole another mm-hmm. level. But when I was living in these countries, is most for the most part, it's impoverished nations. And so I think what changed me was realizing that my worldview isn't necessarily the capital T worldview. Yeah. You know, and I think that's hard for some Westerners, you know, hard for some, some Americans, you know, everything, even here in, even here in Turkey, when I got to, to Turkey, I was annoyed that they, nobody spoke English. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, you think your like, way is like my the way, way is the way. Like, like, why don't you guys speak English? It's so hard for me here. Cause you don't speak English. It, it, we're maybe the only country, you know, that does that. You yeah, know? a Turk's not going to go to America and be like, "I can't believe nobody speaks Turkish." You should like <laughs> everything should hover around me, yeah. like yeah. So I think what I learned was just you know tolerance, tolerance, and 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 the beauty of of the diversity of cultures throughout the world. Mm-hmm. So you you said that you spoke about filming in Malawi. When did you dis- when did you decide that filming was your like your calling in f- photography? In high school. In high school. Yeah, in my, in my my latter years, in my junior and senior year in high school. I actually wanted to be a painter. My mom's a painter, and my, my father's actually a, a singer. He's a vocalist. Uh-huh. And and so art was always, the, that was going to be the, the, the path, you know. And maybe people won't want, other fathers maybe won't want me to say this <laughs> on the podcast, but my parents told me not to go to college. Yeah, my father said, don't go to college. He said, it's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. He said, don't go to college. Uh, he said, do what you love, and the money will follow. And if the money never follows, nobody complains spending their life doing what they love. Uh-huh. And so he said, find out what you want to do and then just go right at it. If it's something that requires college to do that thing that you love, like I'm not gonna, just going to go be a doctor on my own yeah, and start yeah. operating on people, <laughs> then do it. He said, but don't go to college to find a, to find a job. So when I was in high school, my father's an entrepreneur. And um, <laughs> this is going to be dated for you because you're young, Habib. Um, but this is back in the days of Blockbuster and, and, and video yeah, stores. Yeah, uh-huh. He bought a video store. Uh-huh. Uh, and so we owned a local uh, video store. And so I basically just would watch movies all day and all night. Because you had access to them. I had access to them. Independent films, French films, you know, American films, mainstream films, all kinds of films. And I think as in when I was a junior, I realized I think I want to be um, I think I want to be a filmmaker. I was a photographer before I started mm-hmm. photography at age 11. Uh-huh. And then when I started watching these films, I realized that films are really just the augmentation of all of these different arts it's music it's it's photography it's cinematography and so i said you know this is this is what i want to do and so you just started making films and i started first doing you know photojournalism and i was working for some newspapers and things like that before i converted to islam uh-huh. uh, and then i converted to islam and i was told that i wasn't allowed to do photography really anymore yeah and so there was a group that we were with that said that that was not permissible and so i stopped uh-huh, you just completely for like three or four years until I went to Yemen and connected with my teachers there. And I was in Yemen. I would see pictures on people's walls in their house. And I was like, how is that's not permissible. Is permissible? What are you guys doing? What are you doing? You know, and they're like, no, 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 it's, it's totally fine. So I started doing film again when I was actually living in Tareem, Yemen and Habir Mm-hmm. So how do you choose what to film or, or photograph? Is it what interests you or you find interesting or what you think other people will find interesting? Like, are you making it for you and just if people want to see it, they can, or are you making it for other people to see? It's a great question. Mashallah, it's a great question. So, you know, I think I, I, I would say I make it for me. Like uh-huh. my, my art, my art is, my art is mine. 
But then I, I made, I would say, perhaps the, the mistake of making my art my career. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, was, it no longer was my hobby. In fact, one of my mentors used to say I used to love photography until I got paid to do it. Um, because <laughs> now be... now when you commoditize your art, it can't only be just for you. There has to be some market value. There's an added pressure to like change it up a little so people want to buy it. So they want it. Right. And and that's if you're a fine artist. And then so but what I started doing is I started you know, doing, I started a production company uh-huh. and I started an agency. And so I started making my, using my skills as an artist to, to do things for other, for other people. So in that regard, I would say that I do art for other people uh-huh. with my own personal art, which I would say now is my photography. I've never monetized my photography. Mm-hmm. It's so just I, been I, like your just, hobby. It's just, it's just been my, my hobby, although it's what I'm known most for, but it's not the thing that I do my income with. And I, and I like it this way. I keep it this way because that stays mine uh-huh. and I can create for myself. Uh, with the other business aspect of it, it's a mixture of, of, of both. And you try to find that balance uh-huh. so that you're not just, you know, selling out and just doing stuff just to make money. But it's something that you like and something that you love. But it's also something that other people are willing to, to put a dollar amount to. Mm-hmm. So it must get tiring sometimes if, you're, if you're, your livelihood is based on what you photograph and how, what movies you make. Does it ever, do you ever get a point where you're just like, I don't want to do this anymore? Like, how do you stay committed to photography? How do you stay interested in it? Because I'm... I struggle with staying interested in things and mm. I do things for like a week and I'm like, nah, you've been doing it for decades and you're, and it's, how do you stay interested in it? I think it's, it, it comes down to finding that thing with the capital T, uh-huh. right? Um, I was like you, I've done a lot of things. I was a semi-professional soccer player at one point. I played on the United States uh, junior Olympic team when I was 16, wow. <laughs> 16 years old. Uh, and I thought that was going to be my path. I had full ride scholarships to Dartmouth University and Columbia University as a as a sophomore uh-huh. in, in in high school. Uh, but I broke my ankle my junior year, and so that that changed. I, I, I could have continued to play, but but I lost my junior year, and so it was it it, it broke my heart. Mm-hmm. And so I got into other things. I I was into I used to race bicycles. I was a, was a, a bicycle racer. I used to do so many different things, until I found this, and then this just became something that I can't leave. And so it's almost like air for me. And so like the, if you were to say like you have to leave photography, I would be absolutely, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. And I think this goes back to what my father when he said, find what you love to do, right? If you love to do it, it's not work, mm-hmm. right? There's sometimes, honestly, I'll be honest with you, there's sometimes where I'll be sitting with myself and thinking, I can't believe people pay me to do what to I like do to this. do because I would do it for free, mm-hmm. right? I can't believe people pay me. So I think it's just about finding that one thing and it might be more than one, right? But for me, it was that that one thing that that gave me that joy and that 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 made me that, that brought me fulfillment. And, and then I focused everything in that. I put all my eggs in, in that basket. And it's not something that I could that I could walk away from or I could leave. And it's by by no means at all burdensome mm-hmm. uh, to mm-hmm. me. It's burdensome working with clients. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, that, that must be annoying <laughs> having to cater to what they yeah. want. And we started this podcast for us. Mm. We started it for us. So I'm sure when you start making a movie, you're making it for you. And then now it's getting a little bit more traction. More people are listening to it. And now we're starting to think, how do we how do we grow it? Do we use social media? Is there a danger in doing that? Is there a danger when, when you start thinking about like right now we're thinking about how we're going to grow? Is there a danger in starting to think that? I would say there's only a danger if 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 you haven't formulated what you want this to be for yourselves first, uh-huh. right? Uh, because as soon as you start pushing the the marketing button in it, it could very quickly become well, what's going to sell? Mm-hmm. What's going to go viral? Right? Does it have a virality? Is it going to go 
big and, 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 and then you could, you know, maybe get into a little bit of danger with clickbait and like, what are your titles? Are you getting <laughs> yeah. more engaging things Bus to get, titles. get people. Yeah, exactly. Five reasons to, right. And so I think that it, it could be a danger, but if you're sure what you, what, what it is and you're sure what you want it to be, then I don't think you'd be in that, that danger. And if I could give even just a point of advice, I would say, don't do that. You know, don't, don't make it something else because it's going to be more popular. Mm -hmm. And this is something, you know, I, I teach film now as well. The, the, I've, I've gotten hired because people have seen some of my work uh -huh. in the past. It's never been work that I've done for other people. It's always been my personal projects. That's, uh -huh, interesting, that that's interesting to people. And so if you consider this podcast, something similar, if it's, if it's, if it's something, as long as it doesn't get away from you, mm -hmm. right. Cause then it becomes a, a burden. You can't start making it for other people. If you start making it for other people, it won't work. And, 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 and any artist would, would, would be, I, I think they would be maybe being a bit inauthentic if they said, I don't care about the audience, mm -hmm. right? Because you, you're not creating for yourself. You, you, you're at some point you have to share the, the yeah. art, and at some point you have to share the podcast as well. But I think as long as you know what you want it to be, I don't, th I don't think there's a, there's a, there's yeah. a danger. It depends on what the goal is. If the goal is popularity, mm -hmm. then it could get away from you for sure. But if the goal is authentic conversations, right, and and really talking to people that are engaging to, to you, then I don't think you're in the danger. Okay. All right, then. So let's talk about something related to that, something that helps grow the podcast, something that's not controversial at all, social media. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> my father has a very... We, we've talked about it in previous episodes. With my he's, not, he's against social media. He's social, like, he doesn't like social media. Mm -hmm. He feels that it, it's, not, it's not healthy for mm -hmm. some people. Uh, what's your view on that? What's your view on so using social media for, to, for your work, even for personal benefit how do you stay centered in it stay grounded in it i think you have to be careful uh -huh. yeah i think social media is a beast and i think you know if used with the right intention and with the right balance then i think there can be some benefit to it but i think there's also some some harms if you're not careful mm -hmm. and, and maybe the best way for me to illustrate that is just to give a little personal anecdote of of, of what happened with me I, so I, I launched my career at the advent of social media. Mm -hmm. It's just as social media is starting to, to come into play. And I was an early adopter. And so I was able to kind of figure out algorithms and how to move ride the and, tide and, and, and ride the tide, you know? And so there was a point in my career that I had close to a million followers and all my social media combined. Uh -huh. Right. I had almost 350,000 on my Facebook page. My Twitter was, was almost 50,000. My Instagram was up about 25, you know, 30,000. Uh -huh. I had a lot of social media followers, um, but that brought some delusion with it. Uh -huh. right? Like, like what? Like I have people that are listening to me, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe what I'm saying is important, right? And maybe I felt I was more important or more necessary, uh -huh. you know, to the world discourse than, than was, than was true. And, I, and I'll tell you, you know, this isn't something that I've, I've told to a lot of people, but the moment I realized it, uh, there was a point in my life where I was, I was traveling for over 250 days a year uh -huh. and, and this was traveling doing workshops, uh, keynote speeches, you know, guest appearances for work, yeah. for work and things like this. And, and, you know, this is again, when I was pushing my brand of, you know, Mustafa Davis studios and mm -hmm. I'm doing film screenings and, and, and talks and things everywhere. And it was actually in New York. I go to New York and I, and I, I'm, I'm invited to do a keynote speak, a speech at a, at a mosque. Uh-huh. 
And I walk in and a brother greets me and he says, Salam alaikum, salam alaikum, how are you? So I'm good, how are you? And then he says, what's your name, brother? I said, oh, I'm Mustafa Davis. He's like, oh, welcome, welcome. And I come in again and another brother's like, salam alaikum, alaikum salam. And, and he asked my name, said, he's, what's your name? I said, Mustafa. He's like, oh, welcome, Mustafa, where are you from? And this, the second, when the second person said it, a thought occurred to my mind. How do you not know who I am? Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Everyone knows me. I'm Mustafa. Every, I got every, everyone. I'm Mustafa Davis. I'm, I'm actually coming here to speak. And that thought occurred in my mind and I stopped myself and I said, wow, you're gross. <laughs> yeah. That's gross. Yeah. Right. And I actually ended up shutting down all my social media for three years. Because you, I, you I, felt you had to like I let it yourself. all go. I, I literally not like I'm, you know, like I'm, I'm leaving Facebook next week yeah, hey yeah, yeah. hi guys <laughs> leaving facebook again right it was like a real i really love social media i deleted all those counts uh-huh. and then i started over again mm-hmm. you know when i felt like i could be a little bit more grounded and you could handle the beast yeah and so you know even social media success in social media can be detrimental mm-hmm. it could be detrimental to the spirit and i realized that in that time and i look at what i was doing how i was thinking it wasn't really good for me and, and, and not at all in a, in, a, in, at least in a spiritual sense and not at all in a, in a place of being grounded as an individual. I lost myself with social media. So that's kind of a case study of, and I didn't have bad intentions. I wasn't trying to be famous. Yeah, like that you, wasn't my goal. I was like, I just want to do my work. You know, I'm trying to show it, share, share my films and share my photos. And it just kind of happened. Um, and so I, it, it got away from me. And so it, it can it can and that doesn't happen to everybody you know there's some people who use it brilliantly and they're 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 grounded in it and you know they're not taking it too serious and it's not you know they're not i i would post you know at that point i would like post a photo and if it didn't do i would just delete it because mm-hmm. they must not care we, about it yeah. well because for me it was like oh the brand perception is bad right uh-huh. well, really if i look deep inside it just it hurt that no one liked it uh-huh. right and so you you get that game also going with social media so you have to be careful with it i i I, I would say your father has some some wisdom uh, when, it comes, and, and, that, when yeah. it comes to that. I think I mean I think I think he means mostly like for personal social mm-hmm. media, but like even for his podcast, we have like brand social media. I don't think he has a problem with brand social media as much as people using social media just to advertise their Themselves, lives. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's where I got away from myself, right? Because here I. I make films and these things, but I'm also the brand, right? It's, it's, uh-huh. it's, it's, it's Mustafa, Mustafa Davis. Davis studios. Right. And I, and I, you know, in retrospect, I look back, like I should have just made a production company in like Amblin entertainment or uh-huh. universal, you know, um, it was just a, a mistake I made because then I couldn't separate myself from the brand. Uh-huh. Whereas like the podcast probably has its own name. Yeah, you know, yeah, and it's not, it's not necessarily, you know, about you. It's not like 500 selfies a day of Yusuf, you know, here I'm eating a sandwich guys, <laughs> right here today. I'm just, I got a Coke now. Hey, I'm walking on the Bosphorus, mm-hmm. you know, it's more about the podcast. So I, I think you, you're safe in that regard. Okay. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Let's move to the, Father, the fatherhood aspect of Mustafa Davis. Okay. The, fa- the father, the f- Mustafa Davis, the father. Sure. What is your moral code? Let's, to get into us, talk about something I ask every guest. What's your moral code? Like, this is how I usually, like, when I, do it, when I did it with Martha Samatia, if you had, like, your superhero moral code and, like, Superman, like, he's to save people and whatever, what's your moral code? My moral code as a father. My moral code as a father, I think, is really simple. My mantra is, and it's not mine, right? it's borrowed, right? Uh-huh. Uh, give more than you take, produce more than you consume, help people. That's it. That's it. And if there was one thing that after you're gone, your children took away from you, just one thing that would stay with them for the rest of their lives, would that be it? Would there be something else as well? I think other things as well, because I don't think you can compartmentalize life into a slogan Uh or to just a specific mantra. There's, There's a lot like behind it too. 
but I think I would want that to be followed up with, you know, being honest, uh-huh. uh, telling the truth, w- working hard and, and giving back. Mm-hmm. That would be the, that would be what you would want your kids to take yeah. away from you. Yeah. What do you think the father's job is? As a father, what do you think your job is to be their friend? Is it to be their buddy? Like, what is your job as a father? I think in different stages, there's different roles that, uh-huh. a, that a father plays. I think in early life, it's to protect them, uh-huh. right? And to, and to feed them, clothe them, help them, and make sure that they're safe and that they, they can grow. Um, and then maybe the next phase is helping give them the tools that they're going to need to navigate their life. Mm-hmm. And then I think as they reach their, their young adulthood or, or adulthood, at that stage, I would say just to be their to be their friend. Like I have a my, my eldest son now is I think twenty three years old, and um you know I'm always going to be the the father. Yeah, yeah. But we have a friendship now. You're at that I, stage where you can't really like like every single second like no I'm, I'm do this do that like I don't think that's practical uh-huh. right you know and this is something that my father taught me before I actually had my first son Muhammad. Um, he he gave me some advice and it's really simple advice. He said if you're walking with your son down the street. Uh huh. And you come to a big ditch, uh-huh. a hole. Don't pick him up and lift him over it. Grab his hand tightly, let him fall, uh-huh. catch him, uh-huh. pull him up, and point and say, "That's a ditch. Be wow. careful of those." Right? Uh-huh. If I did the first one, he'd fall down to the ditch the first time he's not with me. Uh-huh. Right? But this one, he can learn to start to, to to fend for himself and think for himself. And I think some fathers have issue with this. Right? Yeah. They're like, overly protective. Overly protective. Right? Because they they think that they can that they can shape the life of their children and pre- pre- prevent them from falling into error and from from making mistakes. And that's just not that's just not true. I think the goal of the father is to give your son the tools that they need to be able to navigate the world on their own. Wow, that's really <laughs> awesome. So and you're not always going to agree with them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah of so course. So now, like, like my, my son Muhammad, he'll probably listen to this at some point. But now, I don't agree with all his life choices, uh-huh. right? I don't like, but they're his life choices. I don't have to agree with his life choices. My goal is that: just are you using the tools that we have like given you yeah. to make these determinations? Because you're going to falter, mm-hmm. right? Like, I'm I'm not a perfect father. I've made many many mistakes in in my life, but I've learned from those mistakes. Yeah. If you would have tried to prevent me from making those mistakes, you'd have prevented me. You would have harmed you in the long run. And, and harm me. I would have just been like catatonic. I couldn't do anything on my own. Uh-huh. You know, at at some point, I want my son to lead me. Uh-huh. I don't want to always be like, hey, have you considered this? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and we've gotten to that point to where I'd say, like, hey, I'm kind of struggling here. What do you think? And he'd be like, well, what I know of you, dad, is you, this, this, yeah, and yeah, that. Yeah. And it becomes a reciprocal thing. But if you haven't given him those tools, it would be almost impossible. He wouldn't be able to do it, right? Yeah. So you've traveled extensively throughout, your, the, throughout the world. Has that affected the way you've raised your children? Like, have you picked up practices from other cultures, from, from fathers from Mauritania, from Yemen? Have you seen the way they've been with their children? And what's an example of that? Uh, absolutely. I think, you know, if I would have just stayed in the United States and then raised my children there without having these experience, um, it would have been a pretty monolithic uh, approach, I think, to their, to their, to their upbringing. Um, I don't know if I have any specific examples uh, offhand, but I've, I've, I've tried to connect myself with men that I feel are upright uh-huh. and to take them as my own uh, mentors and to just take the advice and the example that they've they've set and then apply that to my to my children. Um, I think, you know, maybe I, I don't have a specific example. I think one of the main things that I've learned is that um, patience, patience with your children, patience, you know, and, and, and I say that, you know, very loosely. <laughs> right. 
you know, because if you were to ask specifics, there were there were points, you know, in with all these philosophies and all these, you know, these ideas and all these ideals, it doesn't mean it's always going to work out that way. There was a time with with my with my eldest son where I, I didn't think we were going to have a, a relationship uh-huh. at all. I, I didn't think I thought there was going to be a time where like he does his Sit life and, separate, and, and, yeah. and, 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 and I do my life. And as heartbreaking as that that is, that was just where we were we were at. And it wasn't until after he'd gone through that phase that I realized and talked to other fathers who've had children at this age, it's a, it's kind of like a weaning process, uh-huh. right? Um, they, you know, just like a child who's, who's, you know, young and, 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 and nursing, he has to be weaned from his, his mother's milk. It's a difficult process for that child. It's, uh-huh. it's, it's a crying and screaming yeah. and up all night. And I think as a, as a, as a son becomes his own man, it's a weaning process and there's a testing ground, right? I need to go out on my own. Let me test and see if I can yeah, get him, get him to get him to. And, and there's a, there's a notion of, of, um, you know, get out from under the, 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 the wing of, or the shadow of my father. I yeah. want to be my own, own, my own man. And, and this might be something that you might go through yourself, you know, for, 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 for my children, it was difficult for them that I was, that I, that I had a public persona. Uh-huh. Very difficult for them because they were always, oh, you're Mustafa's son. Yeah, Mustafa David's right? son. And right. at some point, a guy doesn't want to be the son of someone. So I want to be my yeah, self. Yeah. I right? don't want to be Ahmed Fahmi's son. Yeah. What I was, what I was just going to say is that you're going to have this struggle because you, you, you come from a dynamic family and, and, and people within your family, they're all doing these like, you know, big great things. big yeah. things. He's public, like you're known, like people, and people know who your father is. And so there's going to be a point where you have to decide who am I? Yeah. Right? Where, where do I fit into this? In am I always going to be his son? Am or? I just going to be like the, the, the guy who follows in his footsteps and just does what he does? Am I going to have my own thing? And how does that connect back to, back to him? I, I would just say that in that process, it doesn't need to be bad. Uh-huh. Right. As long as there's an understanding from the father and from the son that this is going to happen. This happened with my eldest. It's not happening with my second born Abdullah because I know the process now. Yeah. 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 Right. And he's seen it as well. Like, oh, I can be my own man and I don't have to hate my dad. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Abdul Muhammad was the, exper- the oldest are always the experiments. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Testing where and as you said. <laughs> but they also get the most experience. Mm-hmm. Right. In what way? In because you're the first. Uh-huh. Right. And, and as a father, every there's no manual. Yeah, there's no there's how no, to be how to no be a father. Guidebook, right? There's no manual. It's just time and experience. And so, even still, Muhammad is always my first. He's my first child who's this age. He's my first child who's now married. He's my first child who's left the house. So I'm constantly negotiating a new relationship with with, uh-huh. with him. And the first one is always going to be that. It's always going to be the one who's going who who the father himself is learning. Now, here's something a lot of fathers don't necessarily want to admit, and it's something that I've had conversations with my sons, is that I had my son really young. Uh-huh. Right? I was 23 years old. And so I'm still growing up with, as I'm yeah. raising my son. And so we're kind of growing up together. Now, there's a point in every son's life when you come to this realization, oh my gosh, my dad doesn't know everything. <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> this, the, every son has this realization because he's the hero. He's, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. My he's Baba. My dad can beat up Superman, right? My dad can lift <laughs> a thousand pounds on the bench. You don't even know. Exactly. And then there's some point where it's like, oh wow, he's, 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 he's human. He's human. He's not infallible, right? He, he actually doesn't know. Oh my gosh, he's just guessing. Yeah. I thought he always had. He's just guessing as he goes along. Now some children at this point say, well, I can't trust that, right? I can't trust that. I have to go do my own thing. Uh-huh. 
But if you're if you're if you're patient and you're and you're honest with yourself, that's what you've been trusting your whole life. Mm-hmm. That's what's that's what's gotten you along. Though even if it's been guesses, it's what got it's you which to got that you point. To where you are. I think it was Mark Twain. I, I'm not 100 percent sure who said. Um, when I was 17, I could, I was so embarrassed of my father. I couldn't believe how stupid he was. When I turned 22 years old. I was amazed at how much my father had learned in just five short years. <laughs> <laughs> if so, I said that to my dad, <laughs> if I said that to my dad, that would that would not be that would not be good for my health. <laughs> would, it, would it go over too? Yeah, well? <laughs> Baba, you used to be dumb, but now you're doing now you're doing now really you're doing, good, Baba. You're doing okay. And so it, it, you know, honestly, and it's something that a lot of people would admit that even as fathers. And, and, and is, you know, we're talking about sons because you're the eldest and I have my eldest. I also have a daughter and I know your father has, has a daughter as well. It's you're growing together, uh-huh. you know, and, and if you understand that and you know that and you think about if you frame it that way, hey, let's grow together. Right. Now, I have to be in charge. Because, yeah, of course. You know, like you're not like brothers yeah, like growing yeah, together. There to, has to be, to be a dynamic because I have more experience. Right. And I, you know, you know, and but I think that's if you do that, you can avoid some of that, some of that, some of that angst, you know. Uh-huh. You have a alhamdulillah, very successful studio, mashallah. You you do a lot of work. Do you integrate your children into your work, or is there a line that you have that this is my work and then this is my kids, and they don't they're not like they don't intermingle together. Like mm. the kids stay at home, my work stays at the studio, and that's it. Or do you mix it together and like go get go get me that camera and start taking photographs? Like how, how do you handle that? I'm a hundred percent advocate for nepotism. <laughs> uh, my kids have been working with me since they were very young. I think m- when I was traveling, doing films, Muhammad at the age of 10 was traveling with me, you know, everywhere I went. Um, they're all artists. Uh-huh. Uh, I've been teaching them the art from, from a young age, uh, so much so that now my studio is run by myself and my children. Um, wow. I only have one other staff member. Um, but my studio is run Muhammad. My son, Muhammad is my director of photographer. Uh, my daughter is my, my editor. My daughter-in-law is my producer and my son, Abdullah is my photographer. Uh-huh. And so not only do I include them in it, it has become their career path. Uh-huh. And so this is, this is their career as well. And, and we, and my father did this with me. My father's an entrepreneur and he always included me from the time I was like 12, 13 years old to get that experience. Yeah. And I'd be like a treasurer on his company, you know, paper or, or I would be, uh, um, you know, uh, an associate producer for something that he was that he was doing. He always included me. He brought me to the meetings and 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 really inculcated that in me to to become an entrepreneur. He's an entrepreneur. He doesn't believe in nine to five. Yeah, uh, he doesn't to, work, like work. Nine to five work. He he thinks that's you know. He he used to tell me. He said you have two choices in life. You either spend your life building your dream or you spend your life helping someone else build theirs. You choose which one you want. Uh huh. So are there? Do you think there are pros and cons to having your family so? in like in your in your business are there absolutely yeah what are some there, of them? there's some difficulties because you know as a family you go through family stuff yeah right and you can't divorce that from work now yeah, right? you can't really get into a fight and so then you get into you get... a fight now you got to deal with it at work as well right um i think we found ways to compartmentalize uh-huh. uh compartmentalize a bit but i think because everyone has their own role and, and what i do is also like through the training they've been training all their years and so if muhammad is my director of photography he's my cinematographer I'll give them autonomy in that, mm-hmm. you know? And so there's, there's not a lot of room for clashing, to be honest, 
because you know maybe there's some angst or some hurt if I don't approve something. If yeah, like, yeah. Hey, you've worked on that. That's that's great, but I don't I don't like, like it that. that so let's let's change that. No one likes that that type of because I feel like it doesn't critique. appreciate your work. And... Yeah, and then 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 you then there's dad stuff, right? It's like I remember you know you weren't proud of me when I brought my great <laughs> my report card home. You know, there's there's so that that's a danger in, uh-huh. in, when you when you're working with your kids. But there's also such a, a there's also such a blessing and such a benefit in that. Your, your, your family, mm-hmm. you know, you're always around you're, your family, you're always around your family. And so there's a level of trust there that you don't have often when you're working with external people, there's never going to be an issue of, is this person going to steal from steal me? Steal from me? Is he, is he, is he, is he, is he, is he, is he like being shady? Is he, is he angling? Cause you're all, you're all family. And so I think there's pluses and minuses, but the, the, so far this far in the, the pluses and the, and the positive has far outweighed the, um, negatives. the, the negatives because you know, they're good. Right. They're good at what they do. They've been around. You can't find anybody better. They've been doing it since they were young. They're they're good at what they do. They're gonna, if if not already, better than me. You know, and so it's 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 like a dream for me. You know, Mm -hmm. and and I think it's a rare thing now. You know that 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 uh, that, you know as uh, the Western mindset is break away from your family. You're 18, move out. Right, and 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 maybe this goes back to your earlier question. What I benefited most from those men that I that I was with is that family stays together. Mm-hmm. There's no point where you where you, you disperse and and, and everybody and does their own away. thing. Everyone does their own. You thing. leave the nest. And if you look at you know because we, we, we were talking about the juxtaposition between Manhattan and Mauritania, so if, you know I'm 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 certain here we're using Manhattan as a symbolism of wealth and Mauritania as a symbolism of of, of poverty. But even when we look at that wealth. If we look at the wealthiest families, right, in the in the in the world, the wealth is passed down yeah. to the family. The, the the son doesn't go and have to make his own yeah, yeah, wealth, yeah. right? So the wealth of the family becomes the wealth of the family. That's how Trump mm-hmm. got <laughs> that's his wealth. How, that's how Trump became <laughs> that's how rich. Trump got his wealth with just a small donation of a million dollars from his father. Mm-hmm. He to was able to, build, to set him up, right? But Johnson and Johnson, the you know the Walmart Rothschilds, the, the Rockefellers, all of this is is family family wealth, right? And I think this is something that was 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 really normal in traditional cultures. And I think as we kind of move into more modern. Um, style of, of business interactions it's it's less and less uh, familiar so for me this is always a dream like so like you know it, it, there's even been conversations about should we change the name now like it's weird that it's my name yeah, Mustafa yeah. Davis Studios and you guys are all and it's their decision like no we want to keep it that's like this is the family yeah, family yeah. business and we're all going to work towards it. so alhamdulillah man it's 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 been a wild roller coaster ride at times but it's 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 so beautiful at the end of the day alhamdulillah that's amazing so I think to close off if you had to give me and this podcast one piece of advice as a producer as a filmmaker as just a content creator what would that be to help us grow and help us maintain this path quality over quantity quality over quantity quality over quantity it it just like like you know people won't see us because we're not on camera but just you know, there's, I'm, I'm pretty animated when I speak. Uh-huh. And so I'll move away from the mic and then you'll just kind of like move your head, just signal, like move your head closer to the mic to signal to me like, Hey, don't do that. If you would have just let that go and just let me talk here, whatever, uh-huh. it's going to compromise the quality of, of the, the sound of, of the sound of the podcast. Be really, really particular about that. Uh-huh. Be really, really particular about the, the, the quality of the, of the, of the sound of the quality of the conversations, constantly try to, to, to grow it, to make it better, to make it more engaging, but make sure that it's always interesting to you. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Cause you're going to do, it's, it's always, it's going to be fun for you. Right. If the, like, who's, who's like from a, a famous person who, who's someone who you would love to meet? Someone who I'd love to meet. Wow. Uh, 
Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett. So imagine doing it. What would it feel like to do a podcast with Warren Buffett? That would be pretty awesome. <laughs> right? Even. And so that's, that's what like stay with that in terms of the, the, the quality, but also make sure that it's what you really want to do. Make uh-huh. sure that it's something that you love. Don't let it become a job. Mm-hmm. Right? Don't just let it become Don't like, it okay, become, we have, have to do, to do, a, do a, podcast a podcast this Tuesday and... I have to do it if I have, and then it becomes like, Oh God, I got to do a podcast. I don't want to do it because I don't have that with, with, with my work because I've always made sure that I keep doing what I want to do. Uh-huh. Now this makes it a very annoying for clients to, to work with me because you're very particular, very particular. I'm not going to do what I don't want to do and I'm not going to do what's going to compromise quality because and, in the end you have multiple clients and you can, you can choose to pick and I don't want to work with you because you're not like subscribing to my value system. And because money's not my goal. Uh-huh. Fulfillment is my goal. Contentment is my goal. And this is a really good lesson that my father taught me. He said, never make happiness your goal. Never make it. happiness your goal? I was like, that sounds weird. Why wouldn't I make happiness? What, am I going to be sad? He uh-huh. was like, no, don't make happiness your goal. I said, what do you mean? He said, if you make, he said, how possible is it to achieve this goal of being happy for your entire life? And I said, that's not very possible. You're, you're going to have good days and bad days. Yeah. And he said, so if happiness is your goal, are you fulfilling your goal on your sad days? And I said, no. He said, so if happiness is your goal, half of your life, you're not going to be fulfilling your goal. How's that going to feel to you? It's not going to feel good. It's not going to feel good. I said, so what should my goal be then? He said, make contentment your goal. If you're content, you're content in every single case. I'm content if I have money. I'm content if I don't have money. I'm content if I'm doing well. I'm content if I'm not doing well. You can control that. You can control that. You can't control whether or not you're going to be happy. So as long as you're content doing what you want to do, with this podcast, it doesn't become something that becomes a burden to you. It's something that's interesting to you and to your father and stuff that you guys want to do, conversations that you guys want to have, then I think you're going to be fine. And, 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 and once you get more popular and once it starts to make a name for itself, people are going to come and say, it should be this. Yeah, You yeah, should yeah. be doing that. You might already be getting that. You should be doing this. You should talk about these topics. You should have this guest. And that's all in well, and there might be benefit in that. But if it's not what you want to do at your core, just leave it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Alhamdulillah. Thank you. Alaikum. Alaikum salam.